please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> I would encourage you to bring your Bibles to church and have them with you and open as we go through books of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a free Bible. You can find me before you leave today and we'll have you your own copy of the Scriptures before you leave. If you do need a Bible, uh, you can find one in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, also, many of you have Bibles on your little phones now, so there's multiple ways to have Bibles in our culture. <clears throat> it's good to have it out and open so that you can make sure what I'm saying is actually coming from God's Word, because His Word is the only authority I have to preach from today. <coughs> Matthew chapter 15, we studied verses 1 through 9 last week, and we're sort of finishing up what Jesus started last week in verses 10 through 20. We'll be in Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? <clears throat> he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. <clears throat> but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for His words. Thank you for Him who no man taught like this man. No man spoke like this man. <clears throat> These words are more important than any words we've heard this week. People clamor over the words of presidents and kings and the news and this, that, and the other. Lord, there's no more important words than the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us um, rightly listen. God, that we would hear what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, that you would change us, that you would convict us of sin, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would remind us of our great Savior who is for us. <coughs> and if you are for us, who can be against us? Father, we pray that you would sustain my voice, that I can speak the way you want me to speak, that we would have ears to hear. We pray that you would be glorified, Lord that you would save sinners, that you would build up your people. Lord, that you would have your way with us and, and make us all that you want us to be at Albany Baptist Church for your glory. So help us, God, 
and be with us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> this week, Jesus finishes what he started last week uh, in our study. Last week, Jesus, we saw Jesus rebuke the Pharisees and scribes, warning them that they were using their traditions to break God's commandments. And he told them that their worship was vain. And we thought about how there's a way to have an appearance of zeal for God that is not according to God's Word. There's a way to perform <clears throat> all kinds of external acts of worship. Prayer and preaching and giving money and singing and yet have a heart that is far away from God. And Jesus warned the Pharisees of this in verses 7 through 9, last week he said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. <clears throat> this week in our passage, Jesus finishes what he started. He finishes this warning and he explains his rebuke more fully to the disciples. And, uh, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the main points of, of these verses is, is that God cares about the heart. God cares about the heart. So, if you remember, when, uh, when Saul had failed and sinned against God and offered a, a wrong sacrifice, God told uh, uh, us that He was going to find a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And, and then we see, <clears throat> we see uh, 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 Samuel going to anoint this new king who has a heart for God. And, and, and Samuel sees the sons of Jesse and he sees, oh, these guys, they're big, they, they're strong. Certainly it's this guy. And over and over again, God says, no, no, no. It's not the outward appearance I'm looking at. It's not that he's taller than anybody else or more good looking or anybody else or has strong and has a certain physique better than anybody else. You're, you're looking at the outward appearance. And, and 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. The king warns his son when he's choosing a wife. In Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You better look at her heart. I remember one pastor saying... Yeah, but she's so hot. Well, so is hell. <laughs> Where's her heart? Does she fear God? And even as we think about our own Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, whom we celebrate every day, Isaiah 53, 2, He had no form or majesty, that we should look at Him. And no beauty that we should desire Him. His, his outward appearance wasn't all that. 
But he had a heart for God like nobody else. He had the heart of God, in fact. God cares about the heart. And we see this emphasis in these verses. Point number one, what comes out of our mouths defiles us, Jesus says. What comes out of our mouths defiles us. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. And He called the people to Him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. With this statement, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees and scribes' accusation in in verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter. Uh, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus is responding to this. And He's saying, listen, it's, it's not what goes in. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Now, what, what does it mean to be defiled? It means to be unclean. In this context, it means to be unclean in a sinful way. Or in an unholy way. The adjective form... Of, of, of this word is used in Revelation 21, 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. It being the heavenly city and the new heavens and the new earth. So, so nothing unclean is going to enter the new heavens and the new earth in the holy city. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So defiled means unclean in a sinful way. To be unholy. To be in rebellion against God. To sin against God. That's what it means to be defiled. And Jesus is the exact opposite of being defiled. The perfect, holy, sinless God-man is described in Hebrews 7.26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus Christ is the exact opposite of what it means to be defiled. He is undefiled. He is innocent. He is holy. He is sinless and perfect. So that's what it means to be defiled. To be a sinner. To be sinning. To be unholy. And Jesus says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person or makes them sinful, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a person. What you eat, generally speaking, and, <clears throat> and so yes, yes, you can, you can eat poorly. You can eat too much and sin against God in gluttony. You can, you can eat poison and try to kill yourself. Certainly, that, that defiles you, that's sin. But, but, but what you eat, generally speaking, does not defile you. What you take into your body is not what defiles you, is Jesus' point. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile you. But what comes out of your mouth defiles you. Words matter to God because your words come from your heart and show what's in your heart. And so sometimes we we say things and and we'll say, well, I didn't really mean that. (laughs) Yes, you did. God's just showing you what's in your heart. 
Jesus warned the Pharisees earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 12, 34-37, You brood of vipers, He said, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words show what's in your heart. That's what the Bible teaches. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, so God cares about our words because our words reveal what's in our heart. What's in our heart. And Jesus is saying it's not what goes in that defiles. It's what goes out that defiles. And all of this comes from your heart. In this, this section of Scripture, in Mark's Gospel, um, Jesus declares all foods clean. <clears throat> Jesus declares all foods clean. And, and He's, again, uh, focusing on the, the fact that it's not what goes in that defiles but what comes out. And in Mark 7.19, we read, Thus He, Jesus, declared all foods clean. Is anybody here this morning wondering what Jesus thinks about food that you eat? And, and you might be tempted to think Old Testament laws, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat that, because the Old Testament forbade it. We have a new king. <laughs> we, we have a King of kings and Lord of lords, and He's declared all foods clean. Amen. Bow to your King. Worship your King. Obey your King. Delight in your King. And, and He commands here, all foods are clean. So don't let anybody tell you some food's unclean. You go with King Jesus. Amen. We bow to King Jesus. We listen to King Jesus. And Jesus has declared all foods clean. Why, why do we even have these clean and unclean foods? Well, there were Old Testament food laws where God declared some foods unclean. Leviticus eleven seven through 8 And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Why, why did God's people have these laws? These laws taught God's people about His holiness and their sinfulness, and they separated God's people from the surrounding nations. The Jews were to be a holy nation set apart for God. For the Jews in the Old Testament, these food laws were ceremonial and moral. Sometimes people say, well, this is just a ceremonial law. And so that's gone now. It wasn't a moral law. It very truly was a moral law for God's people. Because God said, don't do it. And if you do what God said, don't do, it's a moral issue. <laughs> so this was very much a ceremonial and moral issue for God's people. They were not to eat unclean animals because God told them not to. And to disobey God would be to sin. But in our passage, we see God Himself, Jesus Christ, who gave the law in the first place, changing these food laws, changing these food laws 
Because He Himself is the fulfillment of these laws. He would truly make His people clean by His blood and righteousness. And, and, and uh, the, 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 the heart of this also has to do with the, the fact that the gospel is now going to all nations. That all nations might hear the good news of Jesus and believe and, and, and trust in Christ. These laws were given at a specific time and a specific, to a specific people for a specific purpose. They were given to the Old Testament Israel to prepare a people, culture, and language to receive the Messiah of God. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Everything points to Christ. And He fulfills all the law and the prophets. And He's the only one who can make us clean and undefiled from the inside out, which is what we need. He alone can cleanse our hearts and change our hearts, which is what we so desperately need. And so what Jesus is teaching us here today is what comes into us from the outside cannot make us sin. What comes into us from the outside is not our main problem. And, and there's some good application for us here. Your environment is not the cause of your sin. Now you're, you're going to hear something different from the world. Oh, it was your upbringing. It was your parents. It was this that happened to you when you were young. And it was this that happened to you. It's, let's blame everybody else but me. Let's blame the culture. Blame the system. Blame this. Blame that. Let's blame everything else except me. That's what the culture teaches you to do. Do you know that? Do you realize that, beloved? Do you, do you, do you realize when you listen to TV and watch the news and, and hear these things, everything, they, they blame everybody else. You're okay. You're wonderful. You're great. You're, you're cream cheese. I mean, you're, you're wonderful. It's everything else is the problem. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> your environment is not the cause of your sin. Your upbringing is not the cause of your sin. Your parents' failures are not the cause of your sin. Your lack of education is not the cause of your sin. The way your boss, your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers or your sisters get on your nerves is not the cause of your sin. The other drivers on the road are not the cause of your road rage. If you want to see the cause of your sin, look in the mirror. You are the man. You're the problem. I'm the problem. This is the biblical reality of life. One, one famous author, writer, was asked by a newspaper along with many other well-known famous people, what's wrong with the world? And this author wrote back very briefly, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely yours, his name. <laughs> what's wrong with the world? I am. <laughs> I am what's wrong with the world. I am a sinner. I am depraved. I'm a poor stinking bag of maggots, as Luther said. I'm the problem. But we don't like to talk that way. Talk that way. 
I'm a poor stinging bag of maggots, but I have a great Savior who saved me from my sin. All glory to Him. Kevin DeYoung says that a person, that person just pushes my buttons. The problem is not mainly with the person, it's with your buttons. That person just pushes my buttons. If it weren't for them, I'd be fine. No, your buttons are the problem. Your buttons are the problem. Amy Carmichael wrote a wonderful book called If, and she's got all these if statements. If this, then I know nothing of Calvary love. It's very convicting. But, but she wrote, if, if a sudden jar can cause me to speak an impatient, unloving word, then I know nothing of Calvary love. For a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. You see what she's saying? If you have a, water, a cup filled with bitter water and it gets shook, gets shaken, you know, we get shaken by circumstances and hard things we face in the world and people pushing our buttons shake us. Well, if it's bitter water, bitterness is going to come out. But if it's sweet water, then even when you're shaken, sweetness comes out. Beloved, you can't change your sin by merely changing outward behavior. The problem is a heart problem. And our sin problem is deeper than mere external do's and don'ts. It's a problem of the heart. Mere outward religious activity will not change your heart. You can't do enough good works to make your heart clean. Mere outward parenting won't change your children's hearts. That's why... Uh, Ted Tripp wrote a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart because he's trying to get parents to think about the heart of their child and not just the outward behavior. You, you can have outwardly behaved little children who will go to hell because they don't know God. That was me for 18 years. I was every parent's dream. Worked hard in school, worked hard in sports, didn't go to parties and didn't drink, chew, or smoke, or go with girls that do, whatever. That was me on my way to hell. Outwardly, wonderful. Inwardly, dry bones. Dead bones. Sepulcher. And so shepherding a child's heart encourages parents. Parents, do you ask what's going on in your children's hearts when they sin? Like, why, Why did you do that? Why did you do what you did? Do do you know what God says about this? What's your motivation here? Do you see what God says? Aim for the heart, not just outward behavior change. We cannot be cleansed from the outside in. We must be cleansed from the inside out because our hearts are the problem. And Jesus alone can cleanse our hearts and change our hearts. This is what Jesus is driving at here in these verses. And, you know, the, these verses are all also showing us that, that God is the God of the nations. He's not just the God of the Jews. The, the, the food laws were to separate Jew and Gentile, but, but Jesus is declaring all foods clean. And, and the gospel is going to go to the nations. There's no longer to be a separation. But the gospel goes to the world. And, and notice later in our, ta- 
our passage, Peter is going to ask about this. Did you notice that? Peter, explain this to us. I'm, I'm not sure about this, Lord. T- tell me what's going on. Peter's like, what's going on here? And do you realize Peter had a hard time getting this? Peter has a hard time getting it now. He had a hard time getting it at Pentecost. He had a hard time getting it uh, in Acts 10. That what God has created is, is clean. Peter had a hard time understanding that God was going to show mercy to the nations. I love what Mark Dever says about this. He says, God would later give Peter a vision which would clarify that and make that point to him again. Because even though Mark says in that parentheses that that's what Jesus meant by his statement that all foods are clean, Peter did not seem to get it. Even after he preaches the sermon at Pentecost, he did not seem to get it. Even after the Samaritans were coming to Christ, he did not seem to get it. So when he's in Joppa, he has this vision in Acts chapter 10. Three times the Lord lifts down this sheet full of unclean food. And what did God say? Don't say that anything I made is unclean. Nothing I've created is unclean. He said, Peter, rise, kill and eat. That's what God Almighty says. I'm going to go with God Almighty. (laughs) And why was he teaching him this? Dever goes on. Because he wanted him to go to Cornelius' house so that he would go and tell him the good news. So Peter would go from Joppa where Jonah had fled from the worldwide mission. God was not missing a beat here. He had Jonah there for a reason in Joppa. Jonah kind of did what God asked at Nineveh, but God was going to make sure this worldwide mission went on. And just to make a point, I think he had Peter at Joppa when he gave him that vision. This good news is for the nations. This good news is for Jew and Gentile. This good news is for people in Qatar, people in Morocco, uh, people in Croatia, people in France, uh, people in Argentina. This gospel is for people all over the world. Jew and Gentile alike. Everyone. Everyone. God loves every nation. Every tribe. Every tongue. Every language. Every people. And and this gospel is going to every one of them to save them. This passage points us to that truth. Number two, Jesus explains the rebellion of the blind offended Pharisees. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Everyone, the Pharisees were offended. The Pharisees were offended. Do you ever offend anybody? Do you ever offend anybody? Or do you think being like Jesus is just always way to go? Atta boy. Good job. Let me make you feel good about yourself. Is that Jesus to you? Just this little hippie that goes around making people feel good? Beloved, they killed him. They killed Jesus. They would kill him today. If Jesus were alive today, he would be the most controversial, canceled. 
he, they would kill him again. He offended people. He offended people. It's not always bad when people are offended. False teachers should be offended. Now, now we offend not, not because of, of, of being jerks or our, our ill behavior. Uh, we, we, we should offend like Jesus with the truth preached in love. Because we love those the false teachers are leading astray. But if, if you want to be a leader, there are people who are going to be offended. I, I read somewhere if you're a good leader, there are always going to be 10% of people who are really upset with you. 10% of the people you lead, they're going to be upset. If you're going to be a good leader. And not just a yes person. Whatever you want that makes you happy. <laughs> Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus had a backbone. Jesus lived for truth. He, he lived for a greater master. He lived to please His Father in heaven. And He loved people. He loved His sheep. And He saw these wolves in sheep's clothing going after His sheep. And, and he, he said things that offended these false teachers. Because He loved people. He loved the glory of God. He loved sheep. He loved those who were being led astray. And so He said things that were offensive to false teachers. These Pharisees were offended. And Jesus makes it clear that these Pharisees were not planted by the Heavenly Father. God sovereignly plants His own. God has His own and He, he plants them. And, and He takes care of them and He makes them grow and provides for them. And He will safely bring them home. But, but we've seen in, in Matthew 13, the enemy is also planting. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. The enemy goes out and plants. And so not all that's planted belong to the Father. Not all that's planted were planted by the Heavenly Father. And Jesus makes it clear, these Pharisees were not planted by God. They do not belong to God's people. The, 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 the image of a, of a, 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 a plant was used of God's people in the old covenant and, and God is the one who plants. Amos 9.15 we're told of how He will plant His people and it's a new covenant reference. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. It's God who plants His people and these Pharisees were not planted by the Father. And Jesus warns His disciples to let these Pharisees alone. He says, let them alone. <laughs> They're dangerous. Stay away from them. They lead to hell. Jesus said, let them alone. That's why I tell you, let TB in alone. <laughs> let these false teachers alone. Let Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer, let them alone. And because I love you and I want to be like Jesus and warn of false Teachers, let them alone. They lead to hell. Stay away. They're dangerous. Jesus said these Pharisees are blind guides leading the blind. 
There are blind people in Jesus' day that, that needed help. They needed someone to guide them along so that they wouldn't fall into a pit or fall down or go into something dangerous. But if you have a blind guide leading a blind person, then it's not safe. It's dangerous. They're going to lead you astray. They can't see themselves. So how can they guide? They lead to destruction and lead to death and lead to hell. And Jesus says, stay away. They're blind guides. And then Jesus explains how our words defile us more fully in verses 15 through 20. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. The, the, the parable that Jesus started with about how the, what goes in doesn't defile, but what comes out. Peter wants an explanation. And he, and he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and expelled? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus teaches us whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. This doesn't defile. As, as I said, generally speaking, when, when you eat food, it goes in down through your throat, in your stomach, and it's expelled. It goes into the latrine. It goes into the toilet. It doesn't defile you. It goes in and out. What comes out of the mouth, though, proceeds from the heart. What does the Bible mean by our heart? This, this is the center of who you are. That's how the Bible uses the term heart. It's not, not the, the, the muscle that's beating. Bum, 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 bum. It's not the muscle that's beating, but it's a way to speak of the, the real you, the center of who you really are. It, it's, it's our minds and thoughts, our emotions, our wills, our, our deepest longings and desires, our whole inner being. Our heart is what defines us the most. Our heart is who we are at our very core, the center of who we are. And, and, and that's how the Bible uses the heart. And what comes out of the mouth comes from that center of who we are. D.A. Carson comments, the point is that what a man truly is affects what he says and does. What ultimately defiles a man is what he really is. Jesus is not spiritualizing the Old Testament, but insisting that true religion must deal with the nature of man and not with mere externals. The heart is the issue. God wants your heart. God wants your heart this morning. J.C. Ryle writes, The heart is the principal thing in the relation of husband and wife of friend and friend, of parent and child. The heart must be the principal point to which we attend in all the relations between God and our souls. What is the first thing we need in order to be Christians? A new heart. What is the sacrifice God asks us to bring to Him? A broken and contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? Circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey from the heart. What is saving faith? To believe with the heart. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. What is the chief request that wisdom makes to everyone? My son, give me your heart. 
give me your heart? Friend, does God have your heart? Does God own your heart? Does Jesus Christ own your heart? Or is your heart given to something else? Remember the Sermon on the Mount focused on the heart. Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Lloyd-Jones comments on that verse. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is an exposition, an explanation of this verse. Some of the most vital questions that can be asked then are these. Do you know God? Do you love God? Do you know God with your heart? Do you love God with your heart? Can you say honestly that the biggest and the first thing in your life is to glorify Him? And that you so want to do what this... You so want to do this that you do not care what it may cost you in any sense. Do you feel that this must come first? Not that you may be better than somebody else, but that you may honor and glorify and love that God who, though you have sinned against Him grievously, has sent His only begotten Son to the cross on Calvary's hill to die for you, that you might be forgiven and that He might restore you unto Himself. Let every man examine himself. Where's your heart? Beloved, where's your heart this morning? Verse 19, Jesus goes on, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. And that word for slander is really blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Jesus taught, and He's teaching here again, (laughs) that man's heart is evil. I mean, he, he said this straight up to his disciples. He, he, he wasn't speaking to Pharisees when he said this in Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give, give good gifts to your children. How many of us would just walk away from Jesus? Jesus called me evil. Oh, oh, I'm so hurt. I'm going to walk away. I don't like being offended that way. He just said that in passing to his disciples. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who know Him and love Him and follow Him? Jesus called His disciples evil. Y'all are evil. (laughs) And He's telling us again. Out Out of your heart come these things. Out of your heart come murder and murderous thoughts, evil thoughts. And, and, and Jesus made clear in the Sermon on the Mount, right, that it's not just what we do outwardly, but, but what we think. Matthew 5, 21-22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Adultery and adulterous thoughts. Sexually immoral actions and thoughts. In the discussions in our culture today about homosexuality, I I even remember hearing some senator or someone in Congress say this as if this is the mic drop that ends the discussion. But he said, show me where Jesus ever said anything about homosexuality. 
You heard that? Beloved, I hope you know that that's ridiculous. I hope you're not taken in by that kind of stuff. And my job as a pastor and preaching is to help you not be taken in by that kind of garbage. To not be that naive. To not be that foolish. You know, Jesus spoke about homosexuality. He speaks about it right here in this very passage. He wrote about it in Leviticus. He wrote about it in Romans. Jesus wrote about it. Jesus inspired Leviticus. Jesus inspired. Jesus was pouring down fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah for perverted immorality. Jesus inspired Paul to write Romans 1. Jesus inspired Paul to write 1 Corinthians 6. And Jesus speaks of it directly right here. Friend, know the truth. Know the truth. Don't be taken in by cultural lies. No, adultery and adulterous thoughts and sexual morality and actions. Jesus says this sexual morality comes from the heart. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so just looking and thinking with lust is adultery in the eyes of God. Theft and coveting, theft, stealing, coveting, desiring that which does not belong to you comes from the heart and is sin. Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Lying, bearing false witness, not telling the truth is, is a sin that comes from the heart and those who lie will not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. And sulfur, which is the second death. Blasphemy. In many of your translations it says slander, but the word is blasphemy in the New Testament. Comes from the heart. The the, the way that, that, that people take the Lord's name in vain. By the way that we live, we bear God's name. And so the way that we live shows forth what we believe about God. And also by actually saying words and using God's name flippantly. Friends, saying OMG, like, like, like being surprised at something and saying, oh my God, is blasphemy. Amen. To say, oh Jesus, is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Yeah. And people who name the name of Christ do that all the time. OMG, Jesus' name in vain. The only reason you should call out Jesus' name is if you're praying to Him and calling for Him. The only reason you should say, Oh my God, is if you're crying out to Him in desperate prayer. Right? You don't use God's name that way. They would stone people in the Old Covenant for that. Praise God we're in the New Covenant. Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Jesus says all these things come from the heart 
And these are what defile a person. These are, are what make a person defiled and unholy and unclean and sinful. Verse 20 says, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. All these sinful actions and all these sinful thoughts come from our hearts. John Calvin said our hearts are idol factories. Friend, do you see these evils coming out of your own hearts? Do you see these evils coming out of your own hearts? Praise God for, for Jesus. <laughs> we need a Savior, don't we? We need a Savior. We, we need a Savior who, who, who never had a murderous or adulterous thought or action. Never. We, we need a Savior who, who never stole, never coveted. We, we need a Savior who never lied, who never bore false witness. We need a Savior who never blasphemed the name of God Almighty. And we have one in Jesus. You see, we deserve God's condemnation. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, hopefully you've seen God's standard, that you, you, have, you, you have fallen short of this standard, that you've sinned against God. The Bible says all of us have done these things. Either outwardly in actions, either these things have gone through our minds, we've thought wicked thoughts, we've all sinned against God. The Bible teaches all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and because we all have done that, we deserve His just and eternal condemnation in hell forever and ever and ever. But God loves sinners. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. This is what we celebrate this time of year, right? God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, and Jesus came to this wicked world and lived a perfect life. Loved and served and uh, did miracles. Taught like no man ever taught. Teaching us even today. He's teaching us that, that the heart is what matters and our hearts are wicked and evil and our hearts need to be changed. And He died on the cross to make that heart change possible. He died on the cross and suffered God's wrath and curse and judgment that we deserve for all these sins. Jesus took that punishment upon Himself and died and was buried. But on the third day, He rose up from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish for these sins but have everlasting life. You can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can't clean your life up enough. You, you, you can't outwardly change enough to make God love you. You can, you can simply receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Have you done that? Has everyone here in this building believed on Jesus and trusted Him as your Savior? That's what we want for you. We want you to know Christ, believe and be saved. If, if, if you want to talk to somebody about that, I'll be here. There are other Christians who would love to speak with you. Don't leave here today until you've trusted in Jesus. Because, friend, you don't know if you'll have another opportunity. This could be your last day on earth. This could be your last Sunday before Christmas. This could be your last Christmas. Trust Jesus. Trust Him. He saves sinners. 
Listen to what Spurgeon says. We admire the wonderful kindness and matchless goodness of God that he should ever have set his love upon such unworthy creatures. Paul is in admiration of it when he says his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. A heart full of evil thoughts, and yet he loved me. A heart full of fornication and adultery, and yet he loved me. A heart full of murder, and yet he loved me. A heart that could bear false witness. A heart that could blaspheme. And yet He loved us. Oh, brethren, if we could see ourselves as God saw us in our sin, we should wonder how the eyes of infinite purity could have borne with us. How the heart of infinite love could have set itself upon us. You were not loved because of your goodness. You were not chosen because of anything in you that was lovely and amiable. You were loved because He would love you. You were chosen because He would do it for His own namesake. He saw you ruined in the fall, yet loved you notwithstanding all. He saved you from your lost estate. His loving kindness, oh, how great. And how great is His loving kindness. How did He save sinners? Infinite purity, infinite love. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself on that cross was made the vilest of all evil thoughts. He was made the most wicked sexual immorality. He was counted as a thief and was counted as a murderer and counted as an adulterer. He was made coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality. He was made envy and slander and blasphemy and pride. He was made and counted as foolishness. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He was made this sin and punished on the cross and died and then rose up from the dead. And now if you repent and believe in Him, you can be cleansed from all your defilement and get a new heart. This is the promise of Ezekiel 36, 25-27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. All your defilements, you'll be clean. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ah, beloved, you who've repented and believed and received new hearts, you will enter heaven with God. Revelation 21, 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean. Nothing unclean defiled will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life Jesus makes this possible Jesus cleanses us Jesus gives us a new heart Jesus' heart is clean makes the obscene pristine and heals the defiled like you've never seen things outside You can't defile. 
Lust won't stop when you walk that aisle. Flee to Christ who passed the trial. On that cross He was made the vile. Though in His life was found no guile, against Him God became hostile. He died and rose to reconcile all who trust and don't revile. Then you'll receive God's loving smile. What's in your heart is what you really are, not what you eat like a protein bar. An evil heart your character will mar. Your sin from God has taken you afar. So trust in Christ, the bright morning star. He saves through His lasting cross-born scar. That's my king. From your hearts come every evil. What you deserve from God is lethal. A finite death is not His equal. You deserve an eternal sequel. But God lay in the manger fetal. The infinite would bear the lethal. On that cross He became the feeble to quench all charges against you legal, then raised you up to die to evil. His purest clean heart is what you need. Against all defiling evil He'd succeed. So whether you've been smoking weed, or your heart is full of greed, or your whole life's been filled with all manner of every wicked deed, your sin this Savior won't impede, for He's the evil crushing seed who came to bleed so that you would forevermore be freed if you'll believe His creed and to His word take heed, He'll grant you salvation guaranteed. That's my King. Do you know Him? Your surroundings don't make you sin. Not skin, gin, your annoying boss Gwen, your least favorite Ken or the new baby twin. Don't push my buttons, you cry to Glenn, but the problem is your buttons within. Only through Jesus can change begin. So bow down to the King whose mercies win. Out of His heart flows only good. He's always did all the good He should. Though He was often misunderstood, He never spoke the smallest falsehood. Against all sin, He triumphantly withstood. He died upon the bloody cross wood and rose to do what we never could. That's my King. He saves sinners from every nationality. He saves from all sexual immorality. He saves you in your criminality, no matter what your illegality. He saves from all wicked rationality, no matter what your personality. On that cross, He endured brutality to become the gospel's centrality, and saving the worst of sinners is His speciality. He saves you from eternal fatality. He'll change your whole mentality, make you live under His principality, and grant you the most joyous immortality. He heals His defiled creation and grants new hearts through regeneration. That's your only hope for liberation from fornication and the punishment of endless damnation. With a new heart, He lays the foundation for a life full of praise and adoration to the God who alone grants salvation. Christ cleans from all that sins defile. From our hearts, these sins come and rile, evil, murder, adultery, vile, theft and lying, slander while our sins like heaps of dung waste pile. Jesus in sinless perfect style obeyed and conquered every trial. Then suffered death who they revile. The God-man took God's wrath hostile, then rose alive to reconcile everything. No hint of guile. By faith alone we gain God's smile. Saves both Jew and each Gentile who trust in Him to joy compile. For He is our everything worthwhile. Lord, we pray this would be true of us. That we would so see our sin and remember what we were. 
And know that because we've been forgiven much, we trust and love much, that you, Jesus, are our everything worthwhile. Father, we pray that you would show us our hearts. Lord, show us ways in which we still live according to the old man, the the flesh, and help us put these sins to death. And grant us hearts for you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Help us grow in obedience. Help us grow in love for you. Lord, we want you to take every part of our heart. We want you to own all of our hearts. Let let us keep nothing back from you, but give, give, totally give you all of our hearts, oh God. Make us love you more and treasure you more and delight in you more, God. If, if we've grown cold, if there are some of us in our Christian lives who've grown cold to you and you do seem afar off and we have been coming and going through the motions of worship, but our hearts are far from you, God, we pray you would do something new today in us and draw us back to you. Draw our hearts back to you, O God, and make us fall in love with you afresh. And Father, we pray if there's anyone here today who's not come to Christ for the first time, we pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that you save sinners and grant new hearts and cause people to be born again and bring people into your kingdom. God, do it today for your glory, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.